This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where, get this, those big dinners that they do in the breezeway, tickets now on sale. You've been to those, right? I've been to one, and it couldn't be nicer. It's outside and uh, down in the Lake Grove Zupan's location, mm-hmm. and uh, they have tickets on sale now at, the, at zupans.com. They're great dinners. Uh, Four course have, dinners. For, yeah. And lobster bake, that's right up my alley. Yep. I want to go to that one. South of France dinner, which uh, was something I would love to do. And tapas, they have a tapas and paella dinner. I don't know the exact dates, but we'll leave that up to you or our listeners to go to zoopans.com and check out when those are. Yeah, the the menus are there, and you can see everything and purchase your tickets. Right. And there are other things you can do there. You can sign up for a weekly email, the news feed Mm -hmm. with a Z. Right. Uh, So in your... You'll get in your inbox some specials each week and save a little money on the wonderful items that they have at Zupan's, including we love the Poke Bar now. Yep, that's, Poke Bar. That's in two locations, McAdam yep. and Burnside. Burnside, exactly. That's the which was the original spot for it. Uh, the, I also love that they help you with weekly recipes. If you're trying to change up your, your dining routines at your house, Zupan's, is, whether it be through the news feed or even their Instagram account, Chris, I will constantly see them doing stuff on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, i got to make that. Well, and even if you don't care about recipes, you can just go in and just get in prepared and, yep. wonderful dishes to bring home, which I like to do. Mm-hmm. A little cleanup that way. Zupans.com, and we appreciate their support of this podcast. Time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast with your hosts, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And you're Court Johnson. Yes, I yes. Just Court Johnson. Yeah, just, just good old Court. There, there are a lot of Court Johnsons. You've had you've had social media. I have I, I have yet to figure out how I can get Court Johnson as my handle on Twitter. It was available. Uh, some guy had it, and then this other Court Johnson got it. And th- believe it or not, there's a few of us. These Court Johnsons, Gosh. you just can't, you I, know. You yeah, can't. so I am the it's Court a, Johnson on Twitter. You're Portland's Court Johnson. See, there we go. That? And you're uh, right at the Forks, Court, I, Court I, Johnson. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Uh, great interview today on today's uh, podcast. Uh, I do have to point out, I was absent for most of it. Yeah. Did you get a note? Well, moments before we were to uh, start recording, I was handed handed basically an email that said, you have to be at a meeting. Well, so we, we, we improvise here. Yeah. Much as Erica needs to do in the fields, yeah. doing her plate and pitchfork dinners, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure they all don't go as planned. No. For her. Right, well, she talks about very specifically one of the first ones she she did where there was some land. Like, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the issue was, but right. she had to figure that all, all out. But I've seen, you know, think about it. Yeah. You're in a field with over 100 guests. You got a couple of chefs. They got an ego or two. Right. Uh, you have no power. You're just you're just cooking with, you know, propane. or mm-hmm. um, And uh, stuff happens. Right. And a lot of people out there. And it all comes off smoothly right. and beautifully. Yeah. I mean, sometimes she's got to deal with weather issues, and she needs to make that call hours in advance. Are we going to put a tent up or not? Or not. Yeah, it's um, tough sometimes. But as I say in the interview, um, plate and pitchfork dinners that Erica has now been running for 14 years, producing and executing more so, um, are, I have said for a long time, are absolute musts for anybody who lives in Oregon. They're required doing because um, they really embody the whole Oregon experience. Yeah, um, Out in farms, eating wonderful food with people, Wine or, uh, with some excellent wine, hearing from the people who are serving the wine, serving the food, where it came from, and just the experience in the summer of buzzing out there. But her dinners, don't take my word for it, although you can. But listen to this. So Food and Wine Magazine named it top food, 50 food and wine experiences in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got, I don't know what this is, a WAPI Silver Award? WAPI, W-A-P-P-Y. Look that someone's got to look that up. Right. Best entertainment, of course. I didn't look it up. I just took the, I just took it off the list. Uh, we know Portland Business Journal. Yep. Erica uh, at one point uh, was 
40 Under 40. She was honored with that. Very nice. Um, she's got the Public Relations Society of America Spotlight Award and C-Nuts. C-Nuts. We want this something one. something else, yes. This is the one, out of all these, this is the one we want. Yeah, C-Nuts, best of the web. Yeah, exactly. That's a great, that's a great honor. Yeah. So, and it was also an honor. I've known Erica for a while, and um, it was an honor to have her here in the studio for Right at the Fork. This is this is my new Brenda Vaccaro voice. It's almost permanent. It's now. the perfect thing for the for <laughs> this. It is. So how did that come about? Uh, I don't. Yeah, it's a long story of weird health Have issues. Have you been yelling at people? No, I wish. You wish. <laughs> anybody? Be, that'd be a better story. Is yeah. Well, that's that's what I thought. Is there anybody in particular that you would like to yell at right now? And as a in. The entire population of the Congress and White House. Yeah, well, that, that's what I was gonna. That goes without saying. Um, well, I but it won't it. do any good. Sure, it will. Yeah, I mean, we're a government for the people by the people. If our voices aren't heard, well, then... that's true. That's true. But it does. It does actually seem to be doing some yeah. good. Honestly, you can't be silenced. No. So yeah, if I were gonna yell at anybody, I would not yell at the majority of Oregon's representatives. Just at Mr. Walden. Just at Mr. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I actually, you know, it's a scary world we're in now. It's, it's, can't figure out yet exactly how scary it is. We don't know. We've seen lots of pieces of it, but. um, It's it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I was actually, and I mentioned this, this is off subject, but. Yeah. We were actually thinking of starting a podcast that the stories of the people affected by these policies. And then I thought, if that gets big at all, then I'm looking at a tax audit. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> and, I, and honestly, I'm not really joking. That's, that's where we are. Well, yeah. I mean, that is where we are. But there are people doing that work. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So. I mean, there are people doing it in a big way. I mean, I'm sure Bill Maher is... Oh, yeah, but even on a smaller level, the folks that used to do a, um, a video series called Perennial Plate, they're now telling stories of refugees. Right. So, Yeah, but that's not a direct hit on Trump it and is. the administration. It is, oh, it very is. much. I mean, it's, you know, he's stopping refugees. These are the lives you're impacting because you're not oh, allowing okay. immigration. I thought you were just saying they were talking about the stories. So no, no, like... no. They're, they're going in and looking deep into... Who wants to be living here and why they're not allowed to? Yeah, it's 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 pretty scary. Anyway, so what's not scary in your life right now? What's good in your life? It's you just spring. Play, it's spring. <laughs> you have your dinners coming up. My dinners they've, are coming they've up. They've been out there uh, for sale at PlateandPitchfork.com. Yes, they are for sale. They're selling quickly. Good. Um, which is great. And uh, yeah, it's just nice to see some green. Yeah, some... but it's not. It's like today. It, we haven't really had any long run of anything nice in a lot in months. No, but the trees are blooming and they're pink. They're, you know, there's pink they're, snow on the ground. It's right. lovely. They're late. <laughs> they're late. Everything's late. Even today, it's freezing out there. See, it's, it's funny. You April say it's 10th. late, and I know all the farmers are really struggling to plant because the ground is too wet. But the lilac are blooming, and the lilac usually don't bloom until my birthday, which is the end of May. So something's off. Wow. That's interesting, yeah. but so much is later because yeah. you know I see it now. I'm not as in tune with that as yeah. you would be, but I see it now on my Facebook feed because the on this day thing comes up. Oh yeah, which I'm always referring to lately, but it's uh, it marks time very in yeah. an interesting way. And I see, you know, two weeks ago there or th- a month ago there were some trees blooming in my on my yard that weren't. That haven't blo- that are just starting. They're just starting, yeah. Right now, so you get to see it. But you're, you've always been in tune with uh, the land. Yes. And um, I know from an early age, and you, you know, we know my memory's only so deep. But we've talked. We talked about this. I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. Seven, eight years ago. Yeah, it's been the, a while. In that about face interview, which yeah. people can reference, you probably don't want to. I don't think you were really happy with that. I, I don't. You know, I, I don't remember it that well. Yeah, I remember there was something the photos. About it. I remember the yeah, photos. Yeah, the photos you didn't like. <laughs> I thought the content was good. I always liked the content. I, I controlled the content. But um, but w- so let's talk a little bit about where your love of the earth and and <laughs> what you know how you got to where you're going, where you are now. 
Um, oh, it's a really checkered past and strange story. Yeah, but so but you had history with land at, well, at an early age. Yeah, I had um, parents who are based in and rooted in science. They're both scientists, and my mom had us plant a garden at a young age and wanted us to know where our food was coming from and how things grew from you know planting a seed, watching it germinate, to letting us leave a zucchini in the ground for way too long so that we ended up with a zucchini that was the size of a baseball bat and didn't taste like anything but was sure fun to parade around with. And where was this? That was in northeastern Ohio. Right, northeastern Ohio. Not far from Marietta, Ohio. Uh, that's southeastern. That's southeastern. Yeah, I was right. um, just outside Cleveland. Okay. Um, and that's interesting to me because I wasn't given any of that. Nothing about that was part of my childhood. Like learn to plant, le- learn to, you know. I think our our elementary school had a had a garden, but I wasn't paying attention. See, you're not alone because once upon a time, all of us had a connection to agriculture. But at this point in time, only there ninety four percent of the population has no connection to agriculture. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's where I was leading. <laughs> I want to know how, what percentage actually knows and cares. Yeah, at one point. Um, we all had some connection, whether it was our uncle or a grandfather or, you know, your neighbor grew something. And now 94% of the population is completely disconnected from agriculture. Do you uh, think that's, has that trended? Was it once 90% or was it once 98%? Is it getting better or You know, worse? I think that we locally in Oregon are getting better. That's what I, you know, living here, much more in tune with it, especially being a a little part of the food world. Right. Well, you certainly know your farmer, but you don't have a direct, I, I doubt you have a direct connection. So you still probably don't have that familial connection, but you, you, we've done a better job of getting to know our farmers in knowing our food. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that's an apples to apples comparison. But, but on a very, on a very basic level, I am much more aware of what's seasonal and what might be on a menu or what would be at a farmer's market. And you know, I really think it wasn't long ago that I wouldn't have known what was seasonal or didn't or didn't know that it, that affected menus. Unless... That means I can retire now. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, you, you don't get all the credit for it, but you get some of it. You get some. Well, do you, do you, would you like to retire now? I'm sure you sure. would. <laughs> but there are other things that you enjoy doing a lot that would cause you not to want to retire now. Well, I could do, um, I mean, retirement to me would be a very active retirement. My folks retired and they're so incredibly busy that I can't keep up with them. So I think I would probably follow their model. But What are they still doing? Uh, my dad is actually volunteering with refugee resettlement and my mom is peripherally involved with that as well. Wow. Um, they split their time between Italy and Connecticut and are incredibly busy. Like I said, I can barely catch up with them. Do you get to Connecticut at all? Rarely. I try to make Where them are meet. they? They're in Woodbridge. Oh, I have great friends in Woodbridge. Yeah, I, I like to go back because I actually have friends from that I made in Oregon that live near them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to get my folks to meet me in the middle or go on adventures because it's more fun than Connecticut. No offense to Connecticut. Have they have they been out here? Yeah, they came out um, last spring, actually. They were here last April when it was like 75 degrees. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that so didn't they're... cause them to want to move here? <laughs> I first checked the first two times I came to Oregon, it was in the middle of July. So, And everybody told me it's not like this all year round. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's an easy draw once you, once you experience that with no humidity. My parents are too smart to move to Oregon. I mean, they love all the things that we have to offer, but the housing prices and cost of living here is out- outrageous. Uh, they're living in Woodbridge, Connecticut. They it's, could do pretty well. It's uh, it's more affordable to live in Woodbridge at this point than it is to live in Portland. Oh, okay. I haven't been Trust back me. there in a while. <laughs> uh, but they don't have to live in downtown Portland either. Well, they could, they could, you know. I mean, living in Oregon is outrageously expensive compared to the rest of the country. Okay. I never thought about that. Having come from Connecticut, I always thought this was still not a bad deal. And having family in San Francisco and, you know, knowing Yeah, well, we're still more affordable than San Francisco. Well, yeah, everything's more affordable than San Francisco. (laughs) So um, have they been to your dinners? They have. Over how many years is it now that you've been doing plate and pitchfork dinners? Fourteen. Fourteen years. Well, I remember I have a T-shirt where you, when you were cel- celebrating ten. Yeah. That now fits. It oh, didn't fit then. Yes. <laughs> I can now put it on. Took a while. That's so. fabulous. Well, you'll have to get a new one this year. 
I will. <laughs> you always have pretty cool t-shirts. Thank you. Um, so 14 years. Yeah. How many have you added? So you do how many? 16 oh, dinners a year? You know, I should have added that up before I came to see you. It's all right. Um, you don't it depends need the exact on the year. number. <laughs> well, when we first started, we did like three dinners the first year, six dinners the following year. And then we jumped to 12. And we'd hovered between 12 and 16 most years. This year, I've actually gone back down to eight um, just for scheduling issues. Mm-hmm. But do, so, you, do yeah, you find this is jumping ahead a little bit, but you said sales are good, but is has it become a little tougher the last few years uh, with tickets? Because I know you used to put them out on a March 20th or right Yeah, right I put them out on the hit. first day of spring. And I mean, right. if you think about it, like 14 years ago, we did three dinners and we were the first people regionally to be doing farm dinners. And so they were a novelty. And yeah, they sold out in four hours and I broke PayPal. Um, but now, um, you know, there are a lot more food and drink events, and it's an, it's not a novelty. But we do sell out. It just doesn't go in four hours. Although saying, you know, I should, uh, our, your good friend Maya Lovelace and, and Katie from Coquine, they sold out in eight hours. So some dinners go well, like hot She cakes. sells out in six minutes for well, her dinner. Well, yeah, so. but she her typical dinners aren't 112 people. So, right, no. Um, but so, she could do that. If she put 112 yeah. people back there, she could sell out in 20 minutes, I bet. <laughs> Probably on a we- for her Wednesdays. Well, and that's my super, super duper girl power dinner with my. And Katie. I wanted in on that. I was, I was gonna, I was going to do that. Even email you ahead of time and say, just make sure I get a, a seat to that. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah. Um, so some dinners sell really quickly. Others will sell more slowly, but they will all sell out. So I don't. I mean, my approach to selling dinners is different than when we started because if you think back to 2003, we we didn't plate and pitchfork precedes Facebook and social media. Mm-hmm. So now the way people are getting their information and the way they're tracking things are vastly different. Before it was like they got an email and they responded. Now your inbox is full every day and you're looking to other sources. Mm-hmm. So it takes a different strategy. But um, I'm aware of that. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I remember when I started my thing, I used to always reference the yeah. only other person that I know selling ticketed dinners yeah. was you. That's incredible. In uh, that was seven years ago. Right. That that was it. Uh, that I knew of. I mean, there were some wine dinners, but no, the only thing that you bought a ticket for in advance was plate and pitchfork that I knew. Right. And so I started doing that, and I never viewed us as competitors because right. yours was in the summer. I I viewed them as complimenting each other. It was kind of the same thing. And you took everybody out in the farm, and I. Yeah, I and I mean, we don't have a lot of competition because there are not a lot of dining experiences that you can actually experience the farm, and, and that's really what Plate and Pitchfork is about. It's more about place than it is about, than it is about, I mean, it's it's about food and it's about place, but it's not about, oh, I got this all-star ticket with this chef. No. It's, it's the whole experience. It's the whole, and others have tried. Yeah. They've done a lot. There have been farm dinners over the years. Mm-hmm. and Well, there have been farm dinners as long as there have been farms. Right, uh, you know, and sort of off the radar, and yeah. yours is on the radar. Right, but um, but you're still standing. Yes, it's not easy to do. I mean, I've always said it's incredible what you do because you build a restaurant in a out at a farm every weekend. You have to build it. I like do the seating, everything, I and carry then five thousand pounds of gear a weekend. Right, it's and, a really great workout. And the other thing that every <laughs> single restaurant, not only in Portland but anywhere, doesn't have to worry about is. It, going to rain on my seats right. on my guests yeah so you have to worry about that every day too yeah i mean there are a lot of interesting things about building a restaurant in the middle of a field i mean you don't have electricity you don't have running water um you have to make accommodations for both of those so that you keep the health department happy um you know you have to think you know when you have a restaurant you've got um wheelchair accessibility and other things like that when i'm building a dining room i have to think about getting folks of all abilities into the into the room and you know stumbling over gopher holes isn't necessarily easy for even those of us that are the most agile so it's uh and so many more things yeah. can go wrong in that field than in a restaurant where they where they do that every day and it's just routine and for you i mean you've got the one thing I do notice that you're pretty clear about is there are no menu su- substitutions. And you explain it. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't have a pantry. Right. It's made. It makes a lot of sense. But it's incredible that people wouldn't understand that. They're just so narcissistic that they feel, oh, everybody's going to accommodate, you know, even if in a field. That's you know, where we are nowadays. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think our dinners are a little different because there is that advanced purchase. So they know ahead of time that they can't have a substitution. So it kind of reduces our exposure to the narcissism that you mentioned. I definitely mm-hmm. see that when I dine in restaurants. And 
The chefs that we work with are so relieved not to have to deal with a zillion menu substitutions. But that comes from, I mean, the beginning, we did have menu substitutions, and I would meet vegans who suddenly ate ice cream. We had uh, two guests come with us to Spain last year that hadn't had meat in 35 years, and they did the whole thing. It was, it was yeah. incredible to watch. They just like said, okay, this is what we're going to is what we're going to do. Well, we've had that experience, too. There was a great dinner that I remember very clearly where John from Cattail Creek was at dinner, and there was somebody who had actually, was in the time when we did offer menu substitutions, and they had reserved as a vegetarian. But the lamb came to the table, and after hearing John speak, she said, I have to try it. Is it okay? Am I screwing up anybody's portions? Because we serve family style. Right. And she tried it, and she appreciated it. And she said, you know, I don't know that I'm going to stop being a vegetarian, but I understand it differently, and I, you know, I wouldn't be this rigid in the future. And but for you, that's perfect that's because the that's win. what you're all about. Yeah, that's is the getting win. people to understand it and experience it. I mean, yeah, the same goes for the you know the the gentleman who walks through a field of eggplant on the farm tour and says, "Oh no, I'm I gosh, I hope they don't make anything with eggplant," and then has a dish with eggplant, doesn't realize he's eating eggplant and ask for seconds. Like those are the those are the things that make plate and pitchfork worthwhile. Yeah, I, I understand that and. Um, I think some of the best experiences for me, dining, mm-hmm. one of the thing, reasons I like to go to where, events where chefs make the decision is I just, any item that has beets on it, I would steer away from normally. Just my upbringing, not in, or, not in Oregon, yeah, right? Yeah, they tasted from like dirt, right? <laughs> yeah, it still tastes like dirt, but when, to me, but when a chef makes it and it's great, I enjoy it. I can't say that it would be my favorite thing ever, but that I can appreciate it right. at least and appreciate it and like it while, while I'm eating it. That to me is what eating and dining is all about, is is expanding your horizons a little bit. Exactly. So if you had a great beet dish in a restaurant, you wouldn't go try and make it at home? No, because I don't cook a lot at home anymore. <laughs> I did more, way more cooking when I had two kids right. under the same roof. But for myself, I've, I've realized lately, boy, am I getting lazy. My son just came out and made this beautiful dinner for me. And... It was the first time I've been in this house for a couple couple of years yeah. now. It's the first time that dining room table. Well, we had a couple of holidays there, so we did as much. But it was one of the few times that wow. that dining room table looked so nice. And I, you know, brought the cloth napkins out. And but I don't do that for myself. Well, but how nice that your son made you dinner. That's fabulous. That's oh, a big change. Oh, he's a good change. cook too. That's great. He's great. Um, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it's a change. You grow. You. I knew you know. about the boys before they were cooking for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now they're cooking and they're meeting me in Europe. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You finally get there. Anybody who's a young parent, it happens. <laughs> it happens. Hey, Chris, uh, a great moment right now for us to welcome on board to the Right at the Fork family a new supporter. We're a growing family. We are a growing family. In fact, it's almost like we're getting twins. Born, <laughs> both of these born back in 1947, uh, Standard TV and Appliance and Gen Air, both... To- Commenced the same year. Exactly. Together here on the podcast, we're happy to, uh, and we think very categorically appropriate. People enjoy cooking, and why not consider the best in appliances? Oh, yeah. Gen Air, the original luxury cooking appliance company. They have the most powerful, high-performance cooking products in the market, and standard TV and appliance is the place to go get them. Right. You can, As a matter of fact, you can test, you can go into the kitchen and test drive your appliances. Which is, which is so smart. Yeah, because you don't want to get it home and then learn. Somebody's like, oh, I didn't know it did that, or it doesn't do this. And there's so much cool technology involved with it. You can actually now, I don't have this, and maybe someday I will, mm-hmm. have connected appliances. Oh, I, I, have, I have dreamed of the, of those, like, I, I will go, We get we, in my family, we get the take and bake pizzas. Right. And we're only five, ten minutes away, so it's not like we're turning on the oven too early, to, so it's dangerous, folks. But I'm just like, if there was just a way for me to get that oven Preheating, so we could just get the, uh, the pizza in by the time we. Oh, I do that. Jenner, all the you've time. done it. I go out, and so, uh, and you can do it. You can put something in the oven and yeah. have it heated no, by the time you get home, which is so awesome. You can also monitor your food, yeah, parties and gatherings, and you can see what's going on while you're. We all you don't have to leave and go into yeah. the kitchen. Well, some sometimes at parties though that you want those reasons to uh, step out of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's true, but you know you don't have to tell people you have that technology. Just, you can just say, "I'm looking at my app," and then you can look at Facebook. Uh, for the next three months, this is something that's going to be important for people. If you go into Standard TV and Appliance and check out their Gen Air products and purchase, right, they're going to throw in a free five-year warranty on any of those products. When you mention 
fork. I think you got to go a little beyond that and not just say the word fork and look well, at you, the, you, look at the give, salesperson. Give some concept. You don't just look at them and be like fork and wink. <laughs> yeah, say fork, right. wink. And and my guess is you just need. To, it's probably a good idea to say I heard the sun right at the fork. Yeah, it's probably the better way. And but. I would do that no matter if you're buying a Gen Airplane right. or not. Go just, in there and say I'm in here. Right. Because I heard this on right at the Even fork. better. That would be great for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are your favorite? What dinners are you most looking forward to this year? Oh, that's that not have? a fair question. I know. That's like asking me to choose my favorite exactly. child. All right. Well, we don't have to do that. Is there a better way to view? Is there a better way? So you're, I think, four farms? We are four farms this year. See, I'm, I did my homework. Yeah, you did your homework. Right. Um, that's just because you were trying to pick which dinners you wanted to go to. It's also because <laughs> I've been to all those, those four farms, too. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the summer is super exciting to me because it's concentrated and it's only in August. And I... Um, I'm working with some chefs that previously haven't had the spotlight. So uh, folks like Bill Wallander from Cointreau, like, you know, he's been in numerous kitchens, but hasn't had the, and he's cooked at a plate and pitchfork before, but not as the chef, as the Sioux. And so being able to bring those folks up is really exciting. And the best part about plate and pitchfork is really the farms. I mean, we all think about culinary and we think about, chefs, but without agriculture, Oregon wouldn't have the restaurants, the breweries, or the distilleries it has. So the more I can get people to those places and have them experience food in the hands of new folks, that's pretty spectacular. Well, I've always said it, and I was going to save this for our intro, which we usually record yeah. afterwards, but I'll say it again. Yeah. I, um, because repetition doesn't hurt, Yeah. I have always loved your dinners with a passion, not so much for the food. Really, yeah. food, and I'm not saying it's bad or it's good. It's no. often, it's it's fantastic. But the experience of getting in the car on a beautiful summer day and driving out to somewhere you, 45 minutes away, and opening the windows and being amongst other farms because usually your farms are not the only ones where right. they are. They're, and just driving through those fields and watching the irrigation going on, and you can see the little rainbows in the irrigation, taking pictures of those. And then getting right to the end of the evening when you're driving back and the sun's just setting. And it's, it is true Oregon. It really is. And it's one of the reasons I have such passion for this place. And you allow people that opportunity to experience it in a way that they normally wouldn't. I'm glad to hear that. That's what Plate and Pitchfork tries to do is both give you an experience of place but also give you an experience of people. Because... That too. Yeah, those yeah. that land. I mean, in Oregon, we have, I can't remember the exact percentage, but we have so many farms that have been in existence for more than a century with the same family. And so when you're driving out to one of our farms, you're probably passing some of those. And I want Plate and Pitchfork to give you the experience of, of knowing where your food came from, but also knowing whose hands it came from. Yeah, and you get you meet them there. You meet them there, and you but take a farm tour. When you first said people, I also thought you anybody coming to your dinners is generally into it, you know they have a certain mindset, and so you're sitting there at a table with probably some people you don't know, and you make friends too. Yeah, out, out in a field, in a farm, in summertime, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty spectacular experience. And so, do you? Uh, I would imagine, um, have you gotten to the point where? Yes, you love your cause, and we'll talk about that, mm-hmm. and you love doing it, but have you ever had years where, like, like, I just wish I could have taken this year off? I've never wanted to take the year off. I would like somebody else to do the accounting and um, deal with sort of the muck of things. Um, you do, you wash dishes. I do. I wash the dishes every night. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, the dishes aren't a bad part of it at all. Um it's sort of a Zen thing. So we're setting the tables. I mean, I've... But you can get so much Zen, right? You don't need Zen all the time. Uh, yeah, you need Zen all the time. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that's Zen. There are other ways to get Zen than That's scrubbing. true. So, you know, do am I tired of it? Would I like to let it go? I mean, I mentioned retiring before. I, At the end of every season, I think, oh my gosh, is this going to be the last one? Can I do this again? And eight weeks later, I'm ready to go at it again. So, um, you know, if... I could ensure the success of Oregon Farms and solve all the other problems I want to solve in a way that wasn't plate and pitchfork. Would I let it go? Yes. But there's still work to be done, so it still feels relevant. And did you feel that 
When you started it, was it about that work? What What was the impetus when you started it? What were you thinking? Was it just... When I started it... Um, when I started it, we read a stat that said that 91% of kids graduating from high school couldn't trace their food source beyond the grocery store. And this was after being laid off from a tech job, um, was post-September 11th, not really knowing what I was doing, and I was coordinating another food event, and it just seemed like putting people around a table could reconnect them to their food and we should give it a go. So yeah, it's always been mission driven. The mission has evolved. I mean, first it was reconnecting you with your food. I mean, if you think back to 2003, the only people that were really focusing on eating locally were shopping at the food co-op, right? It wasn't as prevalent as it is now. You think about the chefs that were around in 2003. I mean, Wildwood was here, Paley's was here. Um, It was a much different environment. And so making those connections was really important. As the years passed and people got more focused on health conscious eating and understanding the value of eating locally. The mission changed a little bit to reach other Oregonians that don't have access to food or have access to our dinners. But if you don't grow and change as a business, then you might as well pack it in after you've done your first event. Yeah. Well, also you look back then, you mentioned it, it was interesting. You had, you, you could, there are only so many chefs you could go to to do. Well, there were probably a lot, but there were, if you look back, Vitaly was doing what he was doing, and whoever Greg, was Greg it, Higgins, Greg was Higgins, doing right? Work. Greg Higgins and Corey Schreiber. Mm-hmm. At, so, and now it's, I mean, it's multiplied incredibly yeah. since then. And you mentioned Bill. We just did a dinner with him. Mm-hmm. Whoever is going to your dinner is in for a treat. He's really great That's at amazing. what he does. Yeah. So, oh, there's uh, your least favorite word. Trail. Pardon me? <laughs> I used your least favorite word. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. Yes, <laughs> you may have. Um, but, uh, but, it's, but you have all this whole world. So I asked the question before, other than Bill, are there some new chefs? Maya was your first. Maya did her first plate and pitchfork last year, she right? Did. That was a really good one. That, mm-hmm. Was that last year or the year before? It was last year. Okay, I got to go to that. That's the only one I went to last year, which was great. How beautiful is that? And as, a, as someone who loves photography... Yeah, it was a stunning dinner. It was a stunning dinner. That location at Stick and Roots Farm is amazing for sunsets and scenery. And we were there during the fi- the big fires the year prior. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that smoke was going to really impact the dinners. It just made an, a filter for everybody's photographs. They were even more stunning. I have a few from there that I that were some of my best of 2016. There you I go. Think. And it was just random. It's not like I, I got out there and uh, thought, oh, this is going to be a great night. The beautiful thing about the you're in course four and you look behind you and you go, holy shit, look at this. The sunflowers are there. Yeah. It's pretty perfect. And uh, I I photographed a few few years ago. I love those pictures. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance offers the largest selection, fast delivery, professional installation, and live kitchens where you can try before you buy. Oregon-based and family-owned, setting the standard since 1947. Standard TV and Appliance is your place for quality Gen Air appliances and more. Portland Food Adventures. Imagine eating your way through Barcelona with Italo's Jose Chesa or Tuscany with Lardo and Grasa's Rick Gencarelli. Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelis with these great chefs in Europe this fall. Get more information under the blog tab at portlandfoodadventures.com where you can contact Chris directly. Zupans, unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. All right, I, I'm kind of losing myself in this because um, because I enjoy them a lot. So, what? How did you get from Ohio? What was the route from Ohio? Growing up, I know you went to school in St. Louis. How'd you get to Portland? Um, the summer before my senior year at St. Louis University, I did a road trip on Route 66 and up 101, and spent the summer spent the last bit of summer in portland 
with a dear friend from college who lived here. And his folks lived in a house in, out towards Rock Creek, uh, which is no longer there. It was on 12 acres, and it was 12 Where's, a- where's Rock Creek? Uh, so, like, 206 oh. in Cornell? Kind of out, oh, okay. out towards oh, Rico? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. So we, I was thinking of the park out in, uh, near yeah, Depot Bay. No, we, um, different Rock Creek. Yeah, we drove out to this crazy road trip out 66 and up 101, and I'd never really explored that part of the country, especially not without my especially, parents. And especially coming from Ohio and St. Louis. Right. It's pretty drastic. And then, um, yeah, when I was growing up, I used to spend my summers in the southeast. I used to go to band camp in North Carolina. So it was very different. What do you play? Clarinet. Are you still good at it? No. Okay. Do you, <laughs> do you need one? I have one. Okay. <laughs> I've got one. Anybody? I've got a few <laughs> instruments in my garage from my kids' days. I would really like to get back to playing, but I haven't played as much as I need to. Anyway, I uh, we we drove out, and I'd never gone camping before. And my dear friend Steve Jones said, "You know, let's go." We stayed with his parents, and like I said, they lived on acreage um, right across from what it's now the Oregon Graduate Institute and I fell in love with the place and this was 1989 um, that whole area you know didn't have Tannisbourne Mall or any of those shopping centers 185th was two lanes uh, it was a very very different world and so I went back and did my senior year I was a communications major and I was bound and determined to as many of us were in yeah. those days well I was bound and determined to work for Wyden and Kennedy and so I were they, and they were into Nike by then. They were. Pretty they were big. just starting. Yeah. They had a small. Their office was super cool. It was at Third and Washington downtown. And mm-hmm. anyway, I sent zillions of resumes and didn't have a job, but had a job in St. Louis that I could have taken. And my mentor, who was also the, he was an AE at an ad agency, said, "You got to go figure it out, and there'll be a job here if you need it when you get back. Um, if you come back." So I put my portfolio in a suitcase in the back of my friend's car, and we drove cross, cross country. And I did not end up working for Wyden and Kennedy. I ended up selling ads at Willamette Week. Oh, okay. And that's that was my. How cross- long did that last? And did that help you in later life? Because I sold I sold media myself. Yeah. I'm still doing it, in, in in certain ways. But did that help you? Yeah, I mean. I did a zillion informational interviews when I got here, and I met with all sorts of ad folks, and every one of them said, if you want to get into this industry, go sell media because you'll meet everybody. And I was um, like an assistant AE at Willamette Week, and the person that I was working for went on a sabbatical, so I was immediately thrown into her world. And... Um, it was a little nuts, but I definitely learned a ton. And there are skills that have applied to everything else I've done. Yeah. I find it, in, in, I hated selling when I first sold mm-hmm. media. and But I established relationships and I learned so much that has helped me since then. I only did it for five years. Um, I, I, I liked for, working in an ad agency more. Yeah. I did it for less than five. And the checkered past part I mentioned earlier, I I was the person that answered the phone for the first inquiry about placing a phone sex ad in Willamette Week. Wow. How'd that go? Uh, did, you, did you close it? I did. I did. I closed it <laughs> while wearing my little Laura Ashley dress and looking sweet and innocent. I ended up being the phone sex sales rep and sold so many that that's when Willamette Week had to move ad, those types of ads from the main news section to the classifieds. So what's the secret to being a great phone sex salesperson? I think it's this voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you said it's changing. So maybe, maybe, you're, maybe, maybe you're, you're... No, I answered the phone at the right time and nobody else wanted to deal with it. That's right. the and truth of the prob- matter. And it probably was a pretty... There wasn't, it wasn't was a hard sell. I was paid on commission. Right. Of course I'm going to take those calls. Right. But it probably wasn't a tough sell. These people called in and they wanted the to be The first there. one called in and once we took one, then it just kept going. It just kept snowballing. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Did they? Did you have to come up with content for them? No, but there was a one nine seven six Erica at one point, and it was not mine. I always wished it was. Well, I remember. Yeah, I remember when a friend of mine was enthralled, and he was going to go in the business of selling. Yeah, those nine. It was nine hundred numbers. They were nine seven six numbers, and the guys that first called <laughs> in were um, they had been carpet cleaners in Denver, Colorado, and they were made aware of these 976 services that weren't sex-related at that time and had an idea. I mean, they, they looked like frat boys. They came into town. It was hilarious. They did well for themselves. 
So you were the first one. So uh, more. Uh, there you go. There's more, my claim to fame. Yeah, especially here in you know liberal Oregon, everybody can point to you. Yeah, so they you, weren't so liberal then. Like there was a big kerfuffle that those ads were in the main news section of Willamette Week. It was scandalous. So you've been here since '89. Yeah. Right. That's a long and solid. You didn't move out and come back. No. So uh, in your mind, one of the things I, I've said to myself, you know, I ask my kids all the time, which decade would you want to go back to? And I've been thinking lately, I, it's not so much a decade, generally speaking. I would love, I've heard so much about Oregon in the 70s and 80s and 90s mm-hmm. and even the 2000s when I first got it, that I'd love to go back and see like the restaurant scene. You hear about a few mm-hmm. restaurants. I'd love to go back and see it. Do you like the current the current Portland better than the old Portland. Would you go back? I would go back. And give up all these wonderful chefs and restaurants. We've and... always had great chefs. I would, I mean, I'm a Portland refugee at this point. I can no longer afford to live in the city. Um, and so I think that growth has value. I, I would go back in time and, you know, if I had a time machine, I'd go backwards and I would help craft a better growth plan for Portland. I think that Portland is sort of like the teenage girl you guys both probably knew in high school. Like everybody thought she was really cute, but she didn't. And she never thought she was going to get asked to prom. So she didn't go dress shopping or have an idea of what she was going to do with her hair. And then all of a sudden she had six guys asking her to prom. Right. Or, or you come back at the reunion and you and think, she's the hot one. Oh yeah. That really. Yeah. I feel like that's what Portland is. Like Portland always knew that it was something special, but I um, I served on a creative services commission when Vera Katz was mayor, and the effort at that point was to try and keep creative services jobs in Portland. Like, we were struggling. We were losing things to Seattle and San Francisco. And so we were operating from this perspective of, of loss and deficit and not really thinking that we were ever going to come up, and then boom. So I find Portland... Super challenging. I mean, it's great to see the folks that are thriving, and I'm not an, and you know, don't move here, don't move to Portland person. I just think that our growth has been stratospheric and a bit damaging to the things that we love. And I wonder, driving around all the beautiful neighborhoods with all the really nice houses, uh-huh. where are all those people working? Like I, I, for the number of great, beautiful properties yeah. that there are, and the, how much it costs to get into them. Where do the you know the, we don't have the base of cor- we don't have the corporate base here that a Seattle has or San Francisco? Has. We but we do have incredible technology companies here. We have all of the athletic apparel companies that are here. You know, Under Armour just moved here, and you also have to look at that housing is not all being occupied by Oregonians. There are a lot of folks that have just invested here and aren't actually dwelling in those beautiful They're just homes. Sitting there, they're Airbnb them. Yeah, that's no, that's true. They're not just sitting there. So, is there any? I don't know. Is there any um, zoning? Are there any laws to prevent that from happening? Which continuing laws? to occur? Well, I don't know. Oh, I so guess it came out of left field because it's not like anybody knew Airbnb <laughs> was coming two years before it it hit. Again, same, Air, same Airbnb thing with, is also an issue where the city has opportunities to rein in growth, but we're not enforcing our own laws. So you don't want to go down this path with me. I can talk about land use policy till the cows come home. No, I and well, I'll show my ignorance really quickly. I already have. So no, thanks for the warning. You're welcome. <laughs> always look, Erica's always looking out for me. So, um, who are some of the new chefs that you're looking forward to uh, working with out there? The newbies. Um, well, better way to ask that question. Than yeah, I mean the the new to plate and pitchfork folks. Uh, Katie from Coquine has never cooked with us before. I've always admired her. Think she does great work. She used to do dinners on farms herself. Was it your idea to pair her with Maya or? Do you go to the chefs and say, who would you like to work with? I go to the alumni and ask them who they'd like to work with. Mm -hmm. So Maya chose Katie. Um, uh, We mentioned Bill Wallander, who's Easier sell, not that you have to sell hard, but easier for Katie to get Katie into the fold when you're saying, hey, Maya wants to cook with you. Honestly, the... I shouldn't say this, but the dinners happen so organically at this point. So, you know, folks have worked with me in the past. I call them, ask them if they have time, if they have a farm. You know, I start with the farms. Then I go to the chefs. And, 
you know, Maya cooked with me last year and I called her and said, do you want to do it again? And she said, yes. And I said, is there somebody you'd like to cook with? And she said, I'd really like to work with Katie. And I said, do you want to ask her? Do you want me to? And she's like, I'll call her. Um, and then, you know, pairing the location for them, sometimes there's a farm allegiance. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the guys have worked with Sungold for many years because Sungold's been at the farmer's market a long time. And so there will be people who say, hey, I buy Sungold's produce. I'd really like to work with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, coordinating the schedule is the easiest part of anything I do for plate and pitchfork. So when is that laid down? When do you have the schedule actually laid down? From uh, Working backwards from the first day of spring, what, how does it kind of all come together? I contact from, the farms in December or January, and then I start working out from there. So the first step is farms. Land use laws in Oregon change almost every year when it comes to ag, so I make sure that I can still operate legally or get permits that I need for the locations that we're looking at. And then I start calling chefs mid-January. And sometimes everything's put together and it's just sitting until the first day of spring. Other times I'm scrambling till the very last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that's It's a, a bit like a Rubik's Cube. And how do you keep up with, how do you keep up with those laws? You know, I, I, I moved here and I didn't know about the TriMet uh, self-employment tax till six years after I lived here. Oh, and they hit me with penalties. Well, he's in Connecticut. <laughs> he's in Connecticut. He did pretty well, but he wasn't here. So, so uh, many many years ago, I was scheduling a dinner at Viridian Farm in Yamhill County, and I thought I did everything right. I'd researched Oregon Department of Agriculture rules. I'd looked at OLCC liquor l- rules. I thought I completed all the permits properly, and when I had applied for a liquor, when you apply for a liquor permit for an event, you usually go to the sheriff and the sheriff signs off on it and you're good to go. And in Yamhill County, the permits have to go to the land use planning department and they didn't approve my event. And I thought, okay, well, what's next? And they said, well, you can appeal it. So appealing meant going and talking to the liquor commission. So I spoke to them and they said, we, we don't understand why this is in front of us. Of course, do this event, whatever. Here's your signature. Here's our signature. Go for it. So I proceeded and uh, about 36 hours before the event got a notice from the health department who was scheduled to come do my field inspection telling me that if I continued with the dinner, I would be subject to $10,000 in fines or jail time. So I became, Which would you prefer? <laughs> yeah, right? So uh, I became a land use expert pretty darn quickly. Expert is a stretch, um, but I that has led me to be very involved with advocating for agricultural land use policy and supporting other farmers in Oregon as they seek out agritourism because I've been through it. So um, Oregon is amazing. Like We wouldn't have these farms if it weren't for our land use policy. And that policy was put into place in the 70s. It's what kept urban sprawl from happening. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's also That much a, I know. Yeah, it's that also was... a pain in the ass. Right. Um, as those policies evolve to meet the needs of both places like Portland or Salem that are growing and developing, they also have to take into consideration less populated areas. And we get legislation at a state level that then is allowed to be implemented county by county. So we have 36 counties in Oregon. And if you look at our land use policy, especially when it relates to farms, it's different in every county. So that's how like, I can't do what I do with plate and pitchfork unless I know what's happening from a land use policy and a health code perspective. And then there's sometimes something that comes out of left field, no pun intended. Yeah. That you're not, you can't be aware of. I do my damnedest. I keep to in, be aware. Yeah, I keep in touch with county planners. I keep in touch with health inspectors. Um, you know, I follow what's happening with the OLCC. I just keep lines of communication open. So aside from the $10,000 fine and possible jail time, but um, you're doing, you know, you're doing dinners in August and a rafting trip, which we'll talk about, Mm -hmm. but you have to do something to sustain your life outside of that. So what other things have you done over the years or what are you doing now to, to supplement that? Because you said you can't afford Portland now. And this sucks for someone who does something as wonderful as you do that you can't just live live here. Um, I do almost anything for a buck. Uh, almost. That was almost. There was an almost anything. Starting right at selling. Yeah. So. No, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I 
currently am putting those land use policy skills to work um, as a contractor for Travel Oregon, helping them develop an agritourism program. I go around the state with them uh, participating in their rural tourism studios, which are helping farmers identify ways to make incre- incremental revenue. The idea being that in order to stay on our farms, we need additional revenue sor- sources. And things like farm stays or farm dinners or farm stands are all appropriate uses, but they're really complicated to do. So since I've been through it and been threatened with jail time, I keep other people from being in that same quandary. Um, I do all sorts of consulting work that still play back to my project management days in tech, to uh, supporting my friends at Carmen Ranch when they need some help, uh, working with folks if they need a server, an event coordinator. Yeah, checkered. Anything outside of the food business? Well, that land use policy stuff is well, not food-based I mean at all. Well, that, but I mean just something that has nothing to do Yeah, I mean, I do, do a lot of copywriting and... Um, Folks are looking at new tech products or new business development. Oftentimes, I'll do the research for them. So, competitive intelligence was one of my past titles when oh, I was in a, when I was a dot comer. So, I still do a lot of that competitive research. Good. So, you're also planning raft trips. I am too, which looks fascinating. You sent us the video. Um, it's the way to take a vacation at your desk is to watch that video. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's beautiful out there. There's nothing like that. Is that in the Snake River? Is that in Wallawa County? Uh, it the, goes through it and then obviously wait, goes somewhere we, else. We're all over the place. So the Hell's Canyon area uh, straddles Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. So we bounce. And then it's the guys. border between Oregon and, and Idaho, mm-hmm. too? Right. It's the deepest river canyon in the U.S. So how long a trip is that? This year we're doing a three-day trip. Uh, there are numerous trips available through our partners at Winding Waters Rafting Expeditions, but we do a three-day it seems to be just the right amount of time for you to really enjoy the experience and not be so overweight after your trip, after dining on fabulous food and sitting in a raft all day. It's great because you get to see ranch country in a way that you otherwise wouldn't have access to. And who's cooking? Uh, this year, Sean Temple is cooking. Sean Temple used to be at a Canto mm-hmm. for the Portlanders. He's now in Idaho. So he's actually closer to me now. I was wondering where he went. Yeah, he's closer to the river now. Uh, he's in a, uh, He was also out at Palais, right? He was at Palais. Um, his resume is beautiful and fabulous, and he's, he's again and one he's of those the nicest guy. He is, and he's also one of those chefs that nobody ever talks about and doesn't make headlines. Because Sean is much more focused on making sure you have an amazing experience and love your delicious food, and that he's. M- giving you something rather than him chasing headlines. He's oh. humble um, and he's closer to Hell's Canyon than he is oh, to Portland yeah. now, so, right? So it's a, so, it's yeah, a quick trip. Get, it used to be to get Benny Bettinger da- out there, especially now, not even possible. Well, now that Benny's got a new baby and a that's, new restaurant, it was a good year for him to take uh, some time off from the river. That's, but but that's a big deal to get him out there yeah. for that many days, and then you have travel days yeah. and prep days yeah. and the whole thing. And so and Patrick did it too. Patrick, Patrick McKee. So is Leather Stores. Leather Stores was our first chef on the river. He was. I didn't yeah. know that. I, that would be fun. Leather would be one get, get one guy. I would love to do that. Leather with. was on the trip when Rick Steves was also on our trip. I was gonna thank you. I. I Made note to myself to make note of Rick Steves, yeah. and I didn't make notes, so thank you. Oh, there you. you go. Yeah, they were a dynamic duo. Um, Leather and Rick Steves together, they share similar passions. Yes. And um, really, that was a hoot. That was one of the trips where you laugh so hard your face hurts at the end of the trip. Did Rick happen to just sign up for that, or did, was that an effort no. on somebody? No, that was not immediate effort. Rick a... reached out. So. Wow. The, he seems like the nicest guy. He is a hoot. And the knowledge that he has, and the the research he must do when he does his, his show, yeah, he, pretty incredible. When we did that trip, we did a ranch dinner the night before, um, so people could really have an experience of ranches, not just see ranch land. And he learned how to rope a calf. Wow. So, good for you. Yeah, I didn't. Rick did. No, but good for you for <laughs> giving him that experience. And good for him, I guess. I don't know how to rope a calf. I don't know how to rope we'll anything. Ya. I'm not good at roping anything. Everything gets away. So you can you can help in that regard. So let's quickly talk about you've changed your beneficiary. Yes. Uh, this year you have a new beneficiary. I do. Well, I sort of created a beneficiary. So uh, 
for many years, Plate and Pitchfork has supported Farmers Ending Hunger and other nonprofits that are committed to eradicating hunger. And because we sort of overwhelm them. Last year, Plate and Pitchfork guests raised $25,000 for farming, Farmers Ending Hunger. And farmers Ending Hunger is operated by a man who's had intended to retire, I believe, but John Bird is the executive director. And, you know, the donations flood in, which is a beautiful thing, but he's also out there sourcing product. So this year I created Feed, which is a fund that lives within the Mackenzie River Group. Oh, Foundation. you created that. I did. Very nice. Yeah, it's my baby this year. And it allows folks to make a charitable donation year-round. They visit our website. They can follow a link and make a donation to the feed fund. It will still support Farmers Ending Hunger. But it also allows us to identify other organizations that are working diligently to find creative ways to solve our hunger problem and also cultivate rural economic development. Which is, has always been important, but nowadays, I would imagine, I, I don't want to get into a whole political discussion, but I'm sure that's neat, that's more necessary now. But there's a ever. tremendous disconnect between the produce that we grow, or the, the food that we grow in Oregon, and then our number of hungry people. So one in five Oregonians is hungry. And aren't we, would we index pretty high? We do. I don't know what our current rank How is. How could that be where we grow so much? I So about... I believe 40% of the product grown in Oregon is exported, which is great. It's great for farm gate revenue, but we're not doing a good job of, of feeding our folks. And the cost, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the cost of living in Oregon is quite high. So when folks have to choose between keeping a roof over their head or feeding themselves, I mean, they're tough decisions to make. So we are committed to finding creative ways like the folks at Farmers Ending Hunger do to get food into the system. And you know, last year, by raising $25,000, we were, if if one family came to the food bank, if, that, if we were going to track that way, 155 families received their daily allowance of fruits and vegetables because of the money raised at Plate and Pitchfork for the entire year. So, and that's only one, too bad you can't do 12 months worth of events and then go, drive yourself nuts. Well, I mean, at least it. in one month, you know, we fed 155 families for a year. That's great. That's pretty significant. So and that's I hope a to good thing for people who have the means to drive out right. in their BMWs to the dinners. It's nice to pass that money along to people who really need it. Yeah, well, we continue to try and balance out the, the disparities. I mean, agriculture is the great bridge between rural and urban in Oregon in particular. You wouldn't, like I said, you wouldn't have these restaurants or breweries or distilleries without Oregon agriculture. So now we just have to shift that a little bit to those same industries taking care of our communities, which they do a good job of. We just have to change it a little bit in the food supply. And I want you mentioned it, I think, the feed fund. Yes. Feed and fund. I want to point out that you have to search feed fund. Don't just go search. Don't search feed fund. Don't. Right, right. Just don't. go to platonpitchfork.com. And then go through there. there. That's how I found it because I first searched feed fund and I ended up at a an organization, but it wasn't the same That's one. A foundation, That's a foundation, and we're a fund. And right. We live within the Mackenzie River Group Foundation. So, okay, platonpitchfork.com. Yes. That's easy. At, I always forget this, Instagram uh, It's because, handle. you know, Platon Pitchfork started before social media, so right. our hashtags and handles are all weird. Uh, Twitter is at pitchforks, and Instagram is pitchforkpdx. Okay, we'll, we'll remember that. Do you need help this year? Do you need anybody out there to contact you for? No, I. Are your your people are my paid? My people are right? staff. They're, yeah, we had volunteers in the first three years, but I have a staff that comes out for the summer. They are most often not professional servers. They're folks that just believe in the cause, but they've been with me. Some of them have been with me now for eleven years, and they're great. They've yeah, helped. They help amazing. provide the experience, right? Mm -hmm. they're, so they're the people we touch. Chefs are over, and you know they're away from the yeah. dining room table they're the ones who bring the food and uh yeah the servers are amazing they're great people they are very talented and passionate and committed to everything that they do and i can teach almost anyone how to serve i can't teach you how to love what we're doing so the folks that are with us really believe in what we're doing and they make it happen and I'd can be you lost tell that them. right off the bat when yes. you talk to somebody yeah how passionate they are would you let me serve sometime? You have served. You no, served a long time ago. I served <laughs> yeah. food? You served. I made you a water boy. It was a long time oh, ago. Oh, that that's not food. <laughs> well, it is. It's water boy. 
but I'd like to, you know, sometime I'd actually when like does to he, do that. When does he graduate up to the food? That's, the I guess, the question. <laughs> when she's confident that I won't eat it all on right, the way yeah. out. No, when I'm confident that you wouldn't be stuck talking at a table all night. Yeah, that might. Yeah, good luck. Okay, and selling. That's why he's not a server. You yet, know, Court. I think she doesn't want me to be cross-selling into Portland Food Adventures dinners. That's, that's not true. I have no. You've been the, very kind about that. I, I I'm sorry for Nate's community, that. not competition. We support everyone. I appreciate that, and I always support what you do. So thank you thank for you. coming. It was my pleasure to be here. It was a great pleasure to see you. And you know, you and I have never gone. We have gone out and dined once, just sort of. We had drinks and. Uh, at, a long time ago. At uh, Achena, I believe. That so, was really nice. The other dirty do... little secret is that I don't go out to eat that often. I know. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of mine lately, too. But I do get out. I know I get out more than you do. Yes, you do. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 